Up next on Book TV's Afterwards, Stanford University professor Jennifer Eberhardt offers her insights into implicit racial bias. She's interviewed by Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings of Florida. Afterwards is a weekly interview program with relevant guest hosts interviewing top nonfiction authors about their latest work. Welcome to today's segment. I am Representative Val Demings from Florida, and I am honored to be here today with Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt, who has done what I would consider some very fascinating work um, in the area of human behavior. But today we're going to talk about your latest book, uh, which I love the title because I think it really conveys the areas that we really need to focus on, and it's entitled Biased. Right. Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. So, Doctor, welcome. It's great to be with you today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. In, in your book, you talk about what I would say, um, I'll use the word, um, how we are conditioned, and I'll use that word, uh -huh. if you will, to respond to certain people and certain circumstances in a certain way. Right. And what you refer to as uh, implicit bias. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk about how it can really show up in any profession. I um, spent 27 years as a law enforcement officer and mm -hmm. had the honor of serving as the chief of police, so I'm particularly interested wow. in how it can show up in that profession, but you clearly point out how implicit bias could show up in any profession. Right. So could you just take a moment to talk just a bit about your background, because I think it's so impressive, and then if you'll kind of explain to us what you mean by implicit bias, and how does implicit bias differ from what we all know and in many instances have experienced just plain old racism. Right, right. Uh, sure. So I am a professor at Stanford University, and I study race and inequality. I've done a lot of work on racial bias in particular, um, a lot in the criminal justice space, but also um, in education, the workplace, um, in, in, in um, uh, neighborhoods. I've done uh, work looking at uh, how race influences how people think about housing and how they evaluate homes. And, um, and yeah, you, it, it is something that you, you see um, everywhere. It's, um, there's no real um, sort of area of life uh, where it can't um, get under uh, you know, our, our, our skin and um, start to influence how we think and, and how we make decisions and, and how we act. Uh, and so that's what the book is about, trying to um, you know, kind of follow uh, that uh, across all these different spaces to try to understand how people grapple with race. Um, and uh, so you asked about how, you know, definitions, right? So yeah. I guess we can start there. Yeah, um, it's kind of different. Implicit bias is not necessarily the product of racism. Right, right. I mean... Not, not necessarily. Right. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, it's just a product of how our um, brains are wired, and so mm -hmm. we're wired to categorize, uh, we're wired to, to stereotype, we're, we're wired to, um, um, you know, to um, have beliefs about um, social groups that can get activated even without our awareness, and that's really what implicit bias is. It's our, our thoughts and our uh, feelings about social groups, uh, that can influence our, our, our decision-making and our actions even when we're not aware of it. So that's the definition, um, and which is different, right, from, you know, people who are burning crosses or 
uh, you know, p you know, evil people mm. or bad people. Um, so we're talking about sort of everyday people um, who, uh, despite their intentions and despite their motivations, may um, actually exhibit a bias and allow that bias to actually infect uh, the decisions they make. So then you're saying implicit bias um, is not, it, it can affect all races, yes. all people, uh, regardless of their socioeconomic status or, yes. you know, necessarily who they are, uh, whereas racism is more kind of deliberate, Yes. Learned behavior. Yes. Is that what? Yes. Yeah, and you talked about it's deliberate, it's learned, it, it's conscious, you know, it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk about that as like old fashioned uh, racism. Yeah. Uh, but this uh, implicit bias is uh, something that uh, you may not even know you have, wow. something that you don't know is affecting uh, how you're thinking, even. Um, and even if you, we know, you know, what the stereotypes are about various social groups, we don't always know that those stereotypes are influencing what we're doing, how we're treating someone, how we're evaluating someone. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, the um, what what you refer to in the book as the toxic association of categorization, mm -hmm. um, and it, it was just pretty. It was kind of fascinating to me how you talked about how that influences what a person, how they see things, how they experience things, how they uh, experience people. Right. But you also mentioned that our brains are wired yes. to categorize right. people and things. Could you right. talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Right. Well, we need to categorize in order to make sense of all of the stimuli that are out there in the world that are bombarding us, right? We have to figure out a way to um, organize it and to make it coherent so that we have some sense of, uh, you know, control so that we have, um, you know, an, you know a, a better idea about um, sort of, you know, sort of what it is that's out there um, so that we can make um, good decisions and we can, um, you know, have, um, yeah, so it's, it's almost like the brain uh, can't handle everything that it's exposed to. Um, mm. And so there are these um, sort of techniques um, that our brains use to, um, deal with all that information. Um, so, so, yeah. so categorization is one of those things, and we don't just categorize people. We categorize, you know, animals, other animals. We categorize, you know, furniture. Uh, we categorize plants. You know, all sorts of things. Um, but um, that categorization allows us to engage in the world, um, and and the world becomes more coherent uh, because of that categorization. But it's also um, it's something that we do with people, right? So it's not just you know just you know <laughs> you know plants and, and other animals. It's it's social groups, and when we categorize those uh, social groups, we we uh, develop beliefs about people who are in that category. We develop feelings feelings about people who are in that category, and those beliefs are called stereotypes, and then the feelings are called prejudice, and together uh, that's called bias. Wow. That's pretty amazing. You also, um, you, you, you write about uh, the, what you refer to as the cringe-worthy expression. Uh -huh. As we're talking about categorization, the cringe-worthy expression of they all look alike. Yeah. Um, now, you know, as I sit here and think about uh, that term, which I've certainly heard before, my first thought is to believe that anyone who would utilize that 
cringeworthy expression right. of they all look alike, must be a racist or a bigot. But you say that it's really, it can really be a function of biology and exposure. Yes, yes. Could you, what do you be. mean by that? Well, um, you know, uh, babies as young as three months of age already are showing a preference for faces of their own race. Wow. So it, it's something at three months old. Yeah, so it's something that starts early, um, and part of 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 why that preference is shown it has to do with what you're exposed to. So if you're exposed to faces um, only of your own race, and especially at a young age, yeah. that tends to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, especially in you know most homes are intra-racial, and and so you kind of learn. Um, your brain is kind of tuned up on on the faces of your own group. And because we live in segregated spaces, segregated neighborhoods, uh, you don't come into uh, contact as much with people uh, of a different race. So your brain understands and sort of practices on processing faces of all of one type um, and gets really good at that at the expense of uh, really um, being able to uh, process and recognize faces of other races. And so, so we we kind of develop a diminished capacity to recognize those wow. faces. And and so the phrase "they all look alike." Mm-hmm. How does that um, translate, if you will, into negative behavior, or bias, or racism, or behavior that would hurt? Right. Because um, I, I certainly understand a baby at three months old. Right. They start at an early age. We start associating with that which is most familiar exactly. to us. Right? right. That's not a bad thing. Right. How does it become a something that's bad right. or lead to bad results? That kind of association. Right. Well, it's a it's a precursor for bias. I, again, it's a fundamental thing. That's how our brains are built to categorize. Uh, but uh, it's a precursor to bias because once you're placed in that category and you can't actually even um, distinguish one face from another in this um, category of outgroup members, then they, they become interchangeable. And once they become interchangeable, then the beliefs that we have about people like that can get applied to all the people right in that category. And so... You, you, go ahead. You, you give, I think, a really good example, and I love the way you use examples in the book to really drive the point home, right. because it's very scientific, and you never even think about yeah. um, unconscious bias having a scientific or a biological kind of beginning or, right. or, or origin. Right. But I think you, you use examples very well in the book, and you talk about your work with the Oakland Police Department, mm-hmm. but you also... Um, uh, talk about a situation where there were ext- a, a uh, problem with robberies, right? Right. And right. that the victims of those robberies were unable to, no matter how yeah. long they were with the suspects or right. you know what they were exposed to, they were just totally unable to identify right. the persons who robbed them, pick right. them out of a lineup, identify them at all. Right. So that's exactly what you're talking about that in is. terms of the they all look alike. Could you talk more about those the work you've done with Oakland and, and that particular example? Right, yes. When I first got there, um, this was back in 2014, there was a series of strong-arm robberies, mm-hmm. and uh, black teenagers were going into... Um, uh, Chinatown uh, in in Oakland, and they were robbing middle-aged Chinese women. Uh, They would 
snatched their purses from their arms. And when the police tried to, um, you know, look into the crimes and sort of get information about who was it and all of that, the uh, these middle-aged women couldn't tell um, the officers who it was. Like, even when they had a chance to see the face, they, they you know, clearly saw the face, even when the police would go uh, to them and sort of um, for, for, uh, to ask questions about it and so forth, um, right after it happened. Uh, they, they couldn't tell you once that face uh, disappeared who it was. Um, so, so that was an issue. And when they asked the, uh, these young black teenagers, well, why do you go there? Why are you um, sort of uh, focused on Chinatown? And they said, well, um, you know, we go there because uh, they can't tell us apart. They can't tell the brothers apart. That's why we go. And so they knew uh, that they could rob them at will and not be caught because uh, these women couldn't ID them. Wow. And mm -hmm. even when I, I remember also read that um, there were certain training uh, sessions that were yeah. done to try to help yeah. women like that or others to become better at recognizing right. their attackers. And what were the results of well, the training sessions? Yeah, well, that, they would say, yeah. well, you know, pay attention to things that are distinctive. Like, you know, did he have uh, dreadlocks or did he have short hair? Did he have a gold tooth or, you know, all kinds of things like that. But they would try to give them these strategies to help them, but but they, they couldn't. Uh, they just couldn't do it. And, um, they couldn't even, get past the face. They, they couldn't get past the face, even though they were motivated to. And that was because they hadn't had practice at recognizing those faces. They were being exposed to something that they didn't know um, really how to um, process. They didn't know how to recognize those faces. They didn't know how to read them. I had the same experience, actually, when I was young. I was 12 years old. I moved from an all-black neighborhood to an all-white neighborhood. Yeah. And, you know, I was worried, you know, as a little girl about yeah. how I would be accepted yeah. and, and, and so forth. And uh, but the, the, you know, those, the girls were so nice to me, you know, they went out of their way to welcome me to the school and, you know, invite me to things and so forth. And they knew I had problems, you know, uh, recognizing, like, like figuring out who was who, like, but they thought um, it had to do with the fact that I was new and I was just mixing up their names, but I actually could not remember their faces. I couldn't distinguish one face from another. And so, Obviously, that really uh, hindered my ability to make friends. And I, remember so. you, I remember reading about yeah. that, and I, I, I thought it was, you know, it was kind of surprising to me that yeah. this concept that you're talking about, quote, they all look alike. Yeah. While we might associate it with racism, it really works both ways. And so you started yourself right. yeah. trying to come up with distinguishing marks or clothing, right. whatever, to remember. And these were not people you were afraid of. No. Or you feared in no. any way. No. These were your friends. Yep. These were people I would sit with them and at lunch, and then the next day I'm, I'm trying to think, is was that the person or was that the person? I mean, it was... It was really hard. I thought, you know, something was wrong with me. Like, what, ha you know, why can't I do this basic thing that you think anybody could do? All of a sudden, I, you know, I lost my ability to um, really distinguish one face from another. And it wasn't until years later uh, that I recognized that that had a name and that there was, you know, a lot of scientific studies on this. And it's common. So I, we're talking about black, white uh, yeah. here, and we yeah. were just talking about, you know, black, Asian. But, um, you know, it's, it's all over the world. I mean, so it's, it's with every group. Um, so it's one of those things. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, they call it the other race effect. Uh, so it's, 
it's something that's common, but but not not insurmountable. So eventually, mm -hmm. I was able to recognize the faces of because of you white wanted people. to. Well, not just because I wanted to, but because I was exposed to those faces over and over again. So as we, you know, we moved to that neighborhood and I was exposed to those faces every day and my brain just took a little time to catch up with my new environment, but it did catch up and then I was able to recognize their faces. But that was in a very welcoming yes. environment, a very loving, if you will, yes. environment where they were friendly to you, they were kind to you. Yes. That was your experience day in and day out out right but in an experience where that's not the case right where you may not know the other group right uh, very well you don't know their characteristics right you don't understand the culture right it could have a very different it I can. would imagine impact it can because yeah. you talked about the implicit bias can affect what you see and then you base you know you base what you see on then what you do your actions your thoughts Right. That correct? Right. Yeah. That's correct. That's exactly yeah. correct. Yeah. Something else you talk about um, uh, in your chapter, Transition of Bias, mm -hmm. and you talk about how, and you mentioned a little bit with babies, but how children will pick up on the uh, characteristics of their parents. Yeah. They will love you if their parents love you. They will accept you if their parents accept you, or they will on you if their parents do right but that's extended to friends and other people co-workers yes um uh, within our circles that um people will respond to you based on how people they know or respect treat you exactly and and i know there were studies done you know with uh, we know the disparities oftentimes with um african americans and how they're viewed yes. or perceived and there was a study looking at um uh african-american actors yes. and actresses yes and the thought was well maybe if we portray them mm -hmm. you know if th the women in Oakland if their experience with young black males was always in a, a negative one right let's look at if we portray black actors and black actresses in a more positive way right let's show them on television as doctors yes. and lawyers. police officers right. and lawyers right. and you know teachers yep then it may make a difference in how african americans are perceived right. in the communities right or in society did it make a difference what were the results of those yeah those so studies? that that study uh, was a study conducted by um several researchers at tufts and they were interested in sort of looking at black actors in these really powerful roles and roles where you could think that they are serving role models right and having a really positive effect on people who are watching those shows and so the first thing they did was to um, you know take these really popular shows um, dramas like CSI and you know Grey's Anatomy and those kinds of shows and uh, what they did is they gave people uh, really, um, um, you know, like 10-second clips uh, to, to look at um, mm -hmm. of, um, you know, the people in the scene. And they would uh, cut out um, the person that the people in the scene was looking at. Um, mm -hmm. And either the person was black, a black um, actor, or a white actor. Um, and they simply asked, um, they, they, so they're showing, um, you know, the images of these people looking at this person that you can't see, right? And, and they asked, well, well, do you think that, that they like this person? Or, you know, they asked them to describe, you know, um, you know how that they imagine that, that person is uh, being evaluated uh, mm -hmm. by them. 
And the finding was um, when it was a, a black actor who was th the target of these uh, nonverbals, uh, they were more negative nonverbal. Uh, you know, that they were, you know, they were, it could be like a, a frown or maybe subtle things. I mean, when they asked them uh, why it is that they thought, you know, uh, this person was being perceived more negatively, say, mm -hmm. uh, they mm -hmm. couldn't tell you. Um, so it's, it's very, you know, it, it's something that's subtle, uh, but they were picking up on it. Um, and so the finding basically was that, um, yeah, they, they uh, thought that the actors were treating the unseen black character more negatively and that they were less liked uh, than the unseen white character. And then the other thing about this was the, the, um, how this is, um, you know, how what they call uh, you, you get this uh, bias contagion uh, because mm -hmm. it wasn't just the people who were on the movie set, right, uh, or the TV set. Mm -hmm. It was also the people who watched those shows. And so when you, you know, look at people who yeah. are watching those shows, you know, the finding is um, that when you're exposed to this negative um, behavior towards a black person, even though it's subtle, again, right. uh, that um, actually increases your own implicit bias. So um, so we're thinking sometimes, you know, that, okay, this is the answer, uh, but, um, you know, the bias has a way of, of, of still sneaking in. Um, and, yeah, so that, that study showed how that how that uh, I think it's pretty place. amazing. So if you think about a... Um, a person in any profession, if their exposure, as we've already talked about, has been just negative, negative, yeah. negative. Yeah. And then, but even in a very controlled situation with um, African Americans playing very positive roles. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about how uh, those who were watching the footage right. picked out very, what I would consider minor Right. Flaws, if you will, right. maybe a frown on the face or right. a certain expression that appeared to have been really blown up as opposed to really seeing that person solely as an African-American who's playing a very positive role, doctor, right. police officer, teacher. Right. Or, right. Yeah. I mean, even, um, you know, young children um, pick up on this, like you said, um, they they look to adults to figure out how um, other people are seen and how they should treat that person. Um, yeah. You know, there was a study on, on that as well with um, fourth and fifth graders who uh, were shown a clip of someone who was being treated poorly or someone who was being yeah. treated uh, well. And and the, the fourth and fifth graders kind of took on uh, the attitudes of, of, of the person who was uh, was treating that person well or treating that person negatively. And so they're like they're watching what we do to um, figure out what they should do and how they should act and who deserves, um, you know, good treatment and who deserves bad treatment. Wow. Um, you know, Dr. Everhart, I loved being a police officer. I did mm. it for a lot of years. And um, and you point out you pointed out in your book that um, as we talk about some of the challenges with police mm -hmm. community relations, you pointed out in your book that 99% of police encounters with citizens do not result in any use of force. Right. Um, but if certainly the ones that uh, result in deadly force, uh, we pay a lot of attention to right. as we should. Right. Um, but police officers, it's a tough job, yes. right? And yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it can be a very dangerous job. Yes. And so as we're talking about how um, people, whether consciously or unconsciously, are trying to decide what action are they going to take. Okay. Um, certainly, I would think those biases would certainly play a role in a job that's very dangerous right. and um, 
And many times, I think, as you pointed out, police officers um, many times feel like the community that they're trying to protect and serve may not protect and serve them. Yeah. That they may not be on their side, which I can think might just exacerbate right. the biases that already may exist. Right. You, you point out um, uh, a couple of uh, incidences that took place. One of them was uh, Tamir Rice. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk about uh, them, um, and also the Crutcher family yes. as well, yeah. Terrence with Crutcher. Terrence. Right. How do you believe, as you look at those situations, I know you watched video that was available I in did. Terrence's, uh, the shooting, that the unfortunate shooting that occurred with him. Right. Um, and and we went to visit his sister and yeah. heard her story about her brother yeah. that she grew up with well, versus the person, brother. her yeah. twin brother, that's yeah. absolutely correct, yes. that she's been with since the beginning, yes. since she took her own, her first breath. Yeah. Um, so I know you personally experienced the pain of that family because you met her and spent time with her. Yes. As you, I know you reviewed video in his shooting, you spent time with his twin sister. Right. Um, you also studied uh, Tamir's um, shooting. How do you believe um, unconscious bias played a role in ultimately what happened in those, those cases? So it's hard, I mean, as a social scientist, it's hard for me to say what happened in yeah. one particular case, right? Yeah. So I'm not, you know, uh, there, you know, this member of the, the jury. Answers, of course not. Right, yeah. right, right. And um, so what uh, what I do is to try to, um, you know, look at um, features of these kinds of cases and mm -hmm. then um, isolate those features and um, study them um, mm -hmm. in, in in a laboratory. So we, mm -hmm. we don't know... Um, you know, even when we when when we uh, find say that there's a correlation between race and some negative outcome, we yeah. don't know how much race is driving that in particular. You yeah. know, or yeah. or some other factors that are also or, correlating with yeah. race. Yeah, and so we so to to do that, um, we can um, sort of uh, sort of take a situation. Um, and create, so have the same situation. Um, as a scientist, we mm -hmm. can uh, present people with a case, mm -hmm. uh, say, mm -hmm. and we say, uh, we want you to evaluate this situation. Now, it's the same situation, but we're going to change, uh, for some of the study participants, uh, they see it's a black person who's taking mm -hmm. this action mm -hmm. or the target of some action. Mm -hmm. For another group of subjects, it might be a white person who's taking this action or is the target of this action. And then we look at, that allows us to isolate race, right? And yeah. so now we can yeah. make, we're in a better position to make more uh, causal statements about yeah. the role that race actually plays. Because you're controlling Because I'm controlling everything. Yes. yes. Yes, because in any one case, you can say, well, it, it could have been, um, you know, because of the location where the car stopped, yeah. or you know, it the could have been a light. Yes, yeah. or it could have been how he moved, or it could have been, you know, there are lots of lots of factors, right? Yeah. And so we don't really know yeah. for one case, but so that's the value of science is that you can step back and you can um, look at lots of, of, of cases and, um, and and look at how people are responding, you know, across the board, sort of more systematically. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you um, an example of, of some of the studies that have been done on this. There's actually a study uh, that was conducted um, decades ago mm -hmm. uh, by um, a social psychologist named uh, Bert Duncan. He was 
interested in um, how uh, people read the uh, body language of um, mm -hmm. black versus um, white uh, people. And so he had... Um, he, he kind of staged uh, this argument, right? So there was a uh, there was a yeah, study participant, and they yeah. th thought they were watching an argument take place, uh, right? Um, and between uh, a black person and a white person, and then the argument got heated, and one of them shoved the other, right? All staged. All staged. Yes. All staged. Yeah. Um, and so they had different what we call different conditions, or you know, sort of a, a sort of different setup for the study for uh, various uh, subjects mm -hmm. or, or participants. And, and what uh, they found was is when the when the um, aggressor who, who the person who shoved the person was uh, white. So you have a white person say shoving um, a black person. About seventeen percent of the people would rate uh, that action uh, by the white uh, aggressor as violent. Um, now you have the same shove and you flip it. You have a black person shoving a white person. Seventy-five percent of participants said so he, that action is violent. Um, and, and, so, and I remember reading about that study. Yeah. And you, when we talk about controlling the factors, the sizes were about the same. The yeah. action was the same. Right. The really only difference was the right. race of the individual. Right, and that's what you want to get to. Seventy-five percent to seventy-five percent. Right. Right. They were more inclined to say that the white person, when he shoved a black person, was just fooling around. Like 42 percent of them said that. Um, but um, when only I think it was only about six percent of the people characterized the, the black person's, um, you know, uh, actions in that way. So when he shoves a white person, only six percent say that, oh, that's just playing around. So it's huge difference. And you could see the difference of, of race, uh, the, the, the difference that race makes there. Now, so, how do you take that information mm -hmm. that is clearly, it, it, there, there are no extenuating factors mm -hmm. in that because this is not a situation in a community or on the streets or in a neighborhood. This is a control situation right. that has been set up. Right. How do you take that information? What do you do with that information? If you were training, you right. were using that as a training tool right. for any group of right. individuals, how do you take that information? Right. What well, is it that you want the student, if you will, to understand about the scenario and right. then walk away with? Well, you want them to understand how race can play a role here in how people respond and how they behave. And um, you're presenting them with a situation uh, that is identical but for race. And mm -hmm. so I think being able to do that, the power of that, um, you know, people understand it. Like, they um, they get that, okay, well, it wasn't this thing or that thing or the other thing. It seemed to be race. And so then that causes them to pause and sort of think about how race might play a role in all of these other situations that um, maybe we, you know, maybe maybe we hadn't thought about before. Um, you know, discussing so, races, I, I think it's still an issue in America that yeah. we still struggle with, mm -hmm. right, in terms of having really open, honest, discussions yes. about it. Yeah. Do you, in a, in a very controlled situation like that, mm -hmm. do you hear denial still? Well, it, it wasn't race, even though that was really the only factor that was yeah. different. Do you still hear denials? Like, it wasn't race. Right. It's the way he moved his hand or he right. lunged or... Do you hear kind yeah, of denials you, sometimes still? you do. And, yeah. and then sometimes... Um, 
sometimes those denials might be valid and you have to go back and repeat the and, study and yeah. tighten it up and you know and control for the movement precisely and and all of that so so sometimes that's good to hear because it allows yeah. us as social scientists to um you know to uh you know approach you know the study of this with more rigor um, yeah. But all, oftentimes, you know, you know, at some point, <laughs> you know, if you keep doing the studies and you use different, you know, you, you, techniques and right. different people and all of this and you get the same result, then uh, you have to pause and think, well, maybe there is something here. Uh, the other thing I'll say about that is, you know, part of why people might be resistant is because uh, there's this sort of underlying feeling that you're calling them a racist. So this gets back to our earlier conversation about how we're even defining bias. Um, So if it means, if accepting this work, if it means I have to think about myself as a bad person, then that's just, that's going to be hard for me to do. And so I'm going to be resistant to it. Um, And and maybe I'm not going to, um, no, I'm not going to be willing to accept that so easy. And and so maybe that's part of it. And so if we understood that, you know, even good people, right, um, can have bias and it can, you know, influence, you know, how we're seeing things, then that's a different story. Um, then you can actually um, hear it, and yeah. and and maybe um, you can think about you know how this might play out in your own life, in your own discussions, in your own you know you know um, you know actions that yeah. you're taking. Do so, you think that's probably the main reason that people are so fearful to discuss race? Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it on on both sides, right? Yes, you you do. see it among yeah. the races, right. not just one. Is it fear that you're going to label them if they question any way or honestly and openly express their fears yeah. or their beliefs or right. how they were raised or right. how they've been influenced that they feel that they're going to be labeled? And when labeled in America, it's 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 kind of tough to overcome. It is. I mean, it's one of the worst things you could call a person, right, yeah. is a racist, and they think that's what you're saying if you point out, um, you know, you know that they, they they behave differently to this person versus that person, and you think it's uh, based on race. I mean, people get really, you know, uh, upset about that. It's it's a it's a uh, an affront to you know sort of the the character of the person and you know all of that. So. So, I mean, I think um, what the science allows us to do is to kind of step back from all of that and to um, actually uh, look at it uh, without accusation, uh, but we're looking at it to, you know, to really understand how this is operating, how it's affecting us, uh, with the goal of um, actually um, making things better, with the goal of, um, you know, understanding the conditions under which this is most likely to happen so we can avoid those conditions, you know? Yeah. So it's so yeah. I think that's um, what one of the big values of science uh, yeah. is that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and... and it, your, your opening uh, chapter, you talk about, you kind of start off talking about your work with police officers and mm-hmm. um, you, your early training sessions yeah. when you first walked in and <laughs> the overwhelmingly yeah. welcoming reception. <laughs> I, I know this group, right? I know this group. And so you walk in and arms are folded. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. like, I don't have the problem. Maybe you do, yeah. lady, but I don't, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because it's a stone face. Stone face. Yeah, this, yeah. They're like, I'm going to resist everything you yes. have to offer to me because yep. that's not, lady, I have a tough job and whatever, yep. right? Right. Just kind of what you were, race is tough to talk about, yes. right? Yes, yes. I think we all, whether law enforcement, you know, 
every profession, we want better relationships with the community. We want to be strong, safe yeah. communities, but race is tough. Yes. And uh, but you use the story of your own your son. Yeah. Uh, when you all were on a plane. Yes. Yeah. To break the ice. I did. Right? I mean, I I was I was like <laughs> grabbing for everything. Like I was, you know, trying demos and I'm, jokes. I'm so and, proud you hung yeah. in there because I know this group. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to hang in there. Yeah. I couldn't just like you run off the mission. stage. You even though I mission. wanted to run off the stage. <laughs> There was no way out, so I, I no figured, way out. Yeah, That's I had right. to come up with something, right? Yeah. And so I told a story about my son Everett, who was five years old at the time, and we were on the airplane, and yeah. he was looking around on the plane. He was so excited, excited to be on a plane, yeah, and just up in the air and seeing the clouds, and he was checking it all out, and then he sees this guy, you know, on the plane, and he says, "Hey, mommy, that guy looks like daddy." And I look at the guy, and I'm telling you, he didn't look anything at all like my husband, nothing at all like him. And I'm looking, and I look around, and I notice he was the only black guy on the plane. And I thought, okay, you know, you're going to get the talk. So, right, this, this leads to our, you know, the discussion that we, we had right. earlier, right? This, right? I'm thinking he thought all black people looked alike, right? right. And so I'm going to have to have a, a talk with him about that. And then uh, what he said next was What he said chilling. next was, yeah, before I could have that talk, he looked up and he says, I hope he doesn't rob the plane. And that's, I your, said, that's your baby, yeah, five years old. Yeah, he said that. And I just, your son. Yes. <laughs> the yeah. expert on all of this. <laughs> you know, he was a little young. But that's what he was thinking. Yes, that's what he was thinking. And I just, oh my, uh, yeah, I just was, I didn't want to hear that, obviously. Who, who, what mother would want to hear that? And I, you know, I looked at him and I said, why would you say that? You know daddy wouldn't rob a plane. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know. And I said, well, why would you say that? Yeah. And he looked at me, and I'm telling you, he had a really sad face. And he says, I don't know why I said that. Wow. I don't know why I was thinking that. And you know? I think that answer, because you know we can learn so much from our children. Yes, we can. We yeah. really can. Out of the mouths of babes. Right. I think the answer that he didn't know, I think that could be transferred to every profession. Yes. Yeah. Maybe they really don't know. Right. Right. Because it's unconsciously. Yes. Right. We, we get there in an unconscious way. Right. I just and, think and you, that and is you don't answer. Know where, you don't, yeah, you didn't where, know where it came from. In five short it's, years. Yeah. He knew something happened where he said that, but he didn't understand it. Yeah. And he knew that it was problematic just from how I responded. Right. Right. Um, and that's, and that's a, a good point, too, when we're talking about how do you talk to your children about race. I didn't ignore it. You know, I didn't pretend it didn't happen, even though I wished it hadn't happened. Right. I, 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 I sat with him right then, and I had a discussion with him about race. I, I, I wanted him to reflect on his words and why he said it. I wanted him to ask himself, why am I thinking this? Why am I saying this? Right? I mean, and I feel like that's our role as, as parents, to, to help yeah. our children uh, yeah. with this. And I think it was... Because I'm not sure how I would have handled that. <laughs> Probably not as well as you did. But um, I think it was so important at that moment that you did not say, don't say that. Right. And end of discussion. Right. And we have a tendency to do that because that's the easier way to deal with tough subjects yes. yep. and tough situations. You didn't. 
You yeah. asked, why did you say it? Yeah. I asked, why did you say it? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the other thing is, is not only um, don't say that, uh, but they under, children come to understand that you're not supposed to notice race, um, r right? So they yeah. get from adults that the, the way to be a good person is to be colorblind. But a lot of the research on this uh, suggests otherwise, right? Because right? um, we're not colorblind. We're not. Color it's we hard never to be, will be colorblind. It's hard to be colorblind in a world where everything is associated right. with color from That's birth right. to death. That's right. And so if they see that, how can they be colorblind? And, and the issue is, is when you teach your children not to see color, you're also teaching them not to see discrimination. And, and that's, that's a real problem. And I think you're teaching them not to value who they are. Yeah. You, you don't you value know, that They're authentic selves. Yeah, yeah. Just ignore it, right? Yes, yes. I mean, we don't want, because we don't have a colorblind society. Yeah. I think what we want is that my color does not matter to right. you. When you're making a decision about housing or education. Right. Or, or my salary, or you know, my job salary, yeah, exactly. or whether I'm hired or not. Yes, we yes. don't want it to matter. Yes. Um, so I mean, that yes. was just such a profound lesson. Yes. Um, in that conversation with your your son. Yeah, I'll always remember it. Yeah. So. You also talk about um, in one of your police training sessions mm -hmm. um, that you were approached after after one of your sessions by a young white male oh. who had moved. Here from Germany, I believe. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he he was talking about his own experiences yeah. uh, while on patrol, right? And how he is affected, if you will, yes, by what he hears over and over and over again yeah. on his police radio. Could you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Well, he was. I mean, so I've done trainings in lots of different places, and so just I don't know, yeah. being on the ground and hearing these stories, you really. Yeah. Um, you know, understand a lot more about uh, what's happening in police yeah. community tension and yeah. sort of even sort of what officers are experiencing when they're on the street. And so I was, you know, at one of these trainings uh, long ago. And so this person came up to me. He was from Germany. And he I think he'd only uh, been in the States for a couple years. And yeah. he said that he told me that his um, he could feel his mind shifting. Um, so when he came, you know, he was just like to think about himself as being very open and friendly, and he would treat um, people as individuals. Uh, but then after being on patrol and hearing constantly male black, male black, male black um, over the, um, you know, the dispatch over the radio, mm -hmm. the police radio, uh, he, he, it started to work on him. And then he's starting to sort of think about, okay, so these are the people who are committing violent crime. These are the people I need to watch out for. And so then it became almost um, sort of sort of instinctual where he would see a black person and he'd be sort of watching them, right, and, and just really, you know, checking them out and sort of, sort of making sure, you know, where are his hands and all of this. And so he was noticing that he started treating every black person as though they were a and suspect. And his friends asked him and what was wrong noticed. with him. Yeah, yeah, what, what's they, going on yeah, with you? Because they, they, he was acting in a way that was so unlike him. And so they, they called him on it. See, again, it's the reflection. I mean, it, it's the talking about it. It, we, right. it, it, we, we tend to want to not talk about it right. because we think that's safer and that's better. But that's it was right. they, they brought it to his attention and they forced him to uh, reckon with it. Yeah. And um, and he was really he yeah. was worried about it. He was like, wow, you know, is, is you know, this job is sort of taking um, this thing away from me. I mean, I used to think about myself as egalitarian and, 
you know, all of this. Great, but, but I'm great not, guy. Yeah. Um, but you, you yeah. talk about the association of blacks and, mm -hmm. and, and using that scenario yeah. and criminality. Yeah. If that's your experience, if that's all you hear. And that's all you see. And and that's all you're. That's what you're forced to to. You're you're forced to make that pairing. Uh, you know, black with criminality, black crime, black crime, black crime, over and over again. The only time and, you hear yeah. that, that that blacks are being lifted up right. is in a criminal way. Yes. The only time you're hearing there. Yes. There, there is no. This person graduated from high school, or right. got their doctorate, or right. that's not what they're constantly hearing. Right, that's right. They're constantly hearing there was a robbery, there was a burglary, there was a theft. Right, male black. Right. So these are the people who commit crime. These people are criminal. But the problem is, is I mean, most cities. I mean, you have a pretty tiny percentage of people who actually commit crime, even when you have racial disparities in who commit. Yeah. Who commits the crime? That's very right. True. But then, but then you start to expand that to, um, you know, to to the whole category. I mean, you're start, starting to it starts to bleed over into how you are thinking about other people, other black people who have nothing to do with uh, that criminal activity. Yeah. And so that's the problem is when it starts to expand. And that again goes back to our earlier discussion. You know, when we were talking about the middle aged um, Chinese women in, yeah. in Chinatown, yeah. when you when you yeah. can't when they're inter interchangeable, you can't you know distinguish one from another. And this yeah. is the category. The category can kind of take control of us, right? And and then we start to pe treat people within that category in similar ways and associate them um, with uh, them all. You know, with this characteristic. In this case, criminality. Yeah. yeah. And and you talk about, or you write in your book about how race kind of plays a part in almost everything. Yeah. Uh, you talk about the unfair bail system mm -hmm. and how people who have money, regardless of the crime they've committed, if they're granted bail, right. if they have money, they can get out. Yeah. But poor people cannot. Right. And they spend a lot of time in jail. Right. Um, and overwhelmingly, the people who are spending the time in jail are usually people of color. Right. And it affects their cases, you know, because, you know, the studies show that if you are detained, um, if you're in jail um, pre-trial, um, you know, your your case, you know, ends up uh, less favorable for you because, you know, people, you know, they, they um, you know, they're willing to, uh, you know, to uh, plead uh, to things that, um, you know, they didn't do and they're, they're willing to, um, you know, they, they just want to be out of there. The pre-bargaining so, process yes, there the, as the opposed to yeah. just being totally uh, exonerated, if right. you will. Right. They are willing to take a plea bargain right. just so they can get out right. of jail. Right. But, to, doctor, talk about the long-term effects, though, of... You might take that plea. You don't have the money to pay your bail. Right. You okay? So you take a plea bargain. Right. Um, God bless public defenders because they're overworked and underpaid. Right. But they're trying to clear their cases. Right. right? They're overwhelmed. And they're yes. overwhelmed. Yep. And so you take the plea bargain. Right. For that moment, you're living in that moment. But talk about sometimes some of the long-term well, effects. Yeah. How I mean, that can follow you well beyond the day you're released. Yes. Yes, Problem. it can. I mean, because it brands you, you have a criminal record now, yeah. and that follows you everywhere. And so you have this criminal record that um, could, 
you know, affect, you know, all kinds of things, your, you know, employment, um, your, you know, your, um, you know, your ability to get uh, student housing. loans, your housing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it affects, it, it follows you. Um, and even, um, you know, there's uh, research uh, looking at, um, you know, the price of a, of a criminal record and the finding for, for, you know, seeking employment and the finding is, uh, you know, that there's it's a huge, um, you know, difference uh, there for people um, who have criminal records versus those who don't. Also, a difference there in, in terms of callbacks when you're going in for, you know, an, an, inter an interview or, you know, you're uh, submitting an application for, for a job. There's a there's a difference by race as well. Um, but you but, also but, found something, though, even with, when when everybody had a criminal record, mm -hmm. there was a difference in who, if there were calls back, right. who received those calls. Right. So, so, um, so, yeah, so white people with criminal records are more likely to get a call back than black people with criminal records. And actually, in one study, the finding was that white people with criminal records got about the same number of callbacks as blacks with no criminal record. So, so it's both the criminal record and the race, you know, that's operating there. Um, and, and when you put the two together, it really yeah. compounds things and really could affect your, your life chances. And it also affects people who aren't even involved in, 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 in uh, that situation, right? So, so you've made yeah. a decision, say, to, um, you know, accept the plea bargain or whatever. And so um, now you were assigned, you know, this, this label, you know, as, um, you know, as, as a criminal. You, you said you're guilty, mm -hmm. uh, right? So that affects... You know, people, um, you know, that affects how strongly people associate with, uh, blacks with crime generally, because now um, your evidence uh, for this legitimate association between blackness and crime. Mm -hmm. And so you've traded your freedom, and it, and it makes sense, you know, in, in that circumstance, uh, just thinking about your odds and all of that, uh, to, to, to say, okay, I'm going to plead guilty. But every person who pleads guilty, um, it... it um, it leads uh, to, you know, the, you know, people to um, see the race as guilty almost. You know, it, it leads people to see yeah. blacks as yeah. as, as yeah. criminal, and and blacks are disproportionately, you know, committing crimes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so you can see how this is a sort of system that's built up. You know, this plea bargaining system that's actually affecting how we think. It's affecting, um, you know, the public and, and their associations that they're making uh, uh, with uh, black people. Yeah. And so I believe there are two million people who mm -hmm. are incarcerated and about 700,000 of them are released annually. And, you know, you have to think about then what? Right. And I know you've also... Um, done some work within the prison system. Yes. Yeah. And could you talk a little bit? I mean, there's so many good yeah. things in here. Could yeah. you talk a little bit about the prison university project and some of your experience with experiences with with inmates and really working with them to really prepare them right. for success in the future? Right. Why that's so important. So yeah, so this is I uh, was at uh, San Quentin uh, State uh, Prison in in California, Northern California, mm -hmm. and uh, I worked there as a volunteer there, I should say, mm -hmm. as a, an instructor. So I taught classes there, and um, another tough crowd, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> they weren't as tough as the police. Oh well, I okay. had to say that. <laughs> They really appreciated me. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
That's funny. But yeah, um, so, I, you know, I got there and, um, you know, I was worried, you know, about yeah. being there. I hadn't taught in that kind of environment before and didn't know how they would receive um, me or the information that I had to share. But, you know, it was it was an incredible, you know, experience. And there are people there who are really, you know, trying to turn their lives around and they're trying to develop and um, they're trying to learn and, and they use they're thinking about education as a way to you know to to improve and so as an educator you know of course I, I love that and so actually it was just the opposite of being a, a tough crowd uh, in a way but when I started there initially I was really nervous and just little things would um, just set me off and make me you know nervous and so um, in the in the book I was given the example of you know, any time uh, a student moved even a little bit, I'd be like, well, you know, what are they, what's Someone's going on? To go yeah, Someone stood up and you... and to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't know why is he standing up. And then he yeah. starts to, you know, he's approaching me. And I'm like, what's going to happen? just trying to get to the door. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he was just trying to get to the door. But I, I mean, just my, my own bias. But nine out of ten people, or mm-hmm. ten out of ten, probably under the circumstances would have reacted the way you did. Well, yeah, Doesn't but make it, it, the person was that, just trying to go to the bathroom. Right, right. right. So, <laughs> the person but, was just yeah. trying to go to the bathroom, but yeah. it, it helps us to see, you know, Ourselves. how we can carry biases. Yeah, because I was there to, to actually teach, but then, you know, my bias was kind of getting in my way of, of, of that, um, at least initially. Um, and I was, I mean, I tell you, I was just nervous. I was like, where's the, I was looking for the guard kind of out the back window and what, what's going to happen? And you were happy the guards weren't in the class was, yeah. eventually because eventually. of the progress that you all right. are, were making right. together. Because they would get, you know, they would be more quiet, you know, um, and just, we couldn't have just uh, really sort of open, dynamic discussions with the um, guards sitting there. And so, I, yeah, I, was, I went from wanting them to be there to, to not wanting, wanting them to stay away, uh, yeah. really. But that was, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a real uh, experience and, and just, um, I don't know, I mean, it's an example of what we talked about at the beginning, that mm-hmm. um, we all are vulnerable uh, to bias, uh, really, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, we, it's not sort of something that's just about uh, being a bad person. Yeah. It's just what I was exposed to, right? And yeah. sort of my um, understanding of, of who uh, inmates were and what they were like. And a lot of that is, you know, from, you know, all this exposure. I hadn't been really um, spent that much time in a prison before. So a lot of that yeah. comes from, you know, um, television and the movies and sort of, you know, all our, our narratives about uh, who these people are and, yeah. um, and sort of seeing them as... Um, as uh, inherently bad, right? Yeah. Um, and so I had to, yeah, I had to think about, well, what, what you know, why am I reacting that yeah. way? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you, you also write about, uh, of course, implicit bias versus explicit bias. Yeah. And you, you referenced Charlottesville. Yeah. And, and the whole attitude there, which you spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, racist and racist attitudes and racist behavior yeah. being somewhat... Um, different, but you also mentioned how the federal government. Sometimes I think there are unintended consequences. But you talk about how the problems that we face in this area are somehow compounded by legislation that's passed. It might mm-hmm. be segregation of neighborhoods, yes. of housing, of schools, right. um, other institutions, um, and how that just helps to um, compound the problem that right. we're discussing today. But Dr. Uh, Everhart, you say that if we're going to effectively deal with implicit bias, mm-hmm. we've got to look in the mirror. Yes. 
that every individual has a responsibility, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, in the time that we've had, we've talked about so many things, um, used so many examples yeah. of implicit bias. Um, but how do we deal with it? What's, what's really the answer? Right. What, what do we do? What, where do we go from here if we're all going to get better? When right. we take that look in the mirror, what are some things that you would suggest or recommend that right. we start doing, regardless of the professions that we're in, to uh, yeah. be a better, fairer yeah. America, if you will? Yeah, well, there are ways to manage it. Um, so, um, you know, there's a, there are a lot of studies on this by um, social psychologists kind of looking at this, like what are the conditions under which um, bias is most likely to be triggered? Um, and then, you know, how do you how do you manage that, and how do you be mindful, you know, of those mm -hmm. um, situations so that you can um, sort of understand um, and you can slow things down. So, so that's one of the uh, actually uh, this is one of the um, um, areas where you're um, more likely um, to have bias uh, get triggered is when you're having to make a decision really quickly when you have to think fast. Um, we kind of go mm -hmm. on automatic pilot, and we're just kind of you know, sort of basing um, our decisions and everything and how we're thinking on what we've, you know, learned before or what seemed to be associated, you know, uh, with what before. You know, so this is, yeah. um, you're not yeah. really being thoughtful uh, yeah. about it. And so when you're in that situation, uh, bias is more uh, likely uh, to get triggered and affect, uh, in, you know, our uh, decisions and influence, you know, our behavior. And so you want to slow things down. So that would be a remedy there. Uh, we're more likely to... Um, you know, have our biases emerge when we feel threatened, when we feel fearful. You know, in some of these situations are situations that cops are in, right? Um, so, yeah. like, if, yeah. you're, if you're feeling threatened and fearful and you have to make a decision really quickly, um, um, you, you know, you're, you're, you could be more vulnerable um, to, you know, racial bias in that situation mm -hmm. than um, if you had time to sort of think it through. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when uh, before I got to um, Oakland, California, I'm working uh, there with the police department on their reform efforts, mm -hmm. and um, they uh, changed their foot pursuit policy. Um, so they um, were finding, you know, that, you know, they, there were a lot of um, people getting hurt or, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes um, when there was a shooting, oftentimes it was associated um, with some foot chase. And so they changed the policy. So um, they didn't allow officers anymore to chase people um, into enclosed sort of dark spaces where you would lose sight of the person. Um, they would say, rather than chasing um, the person into this situation, we want you to step back and set up a perimeter and call for backup. Mm -hmm. And so you have, yeah. you know, sort of time and resources and you slow it down, right, uh, to, yeah. to work it out. And they found um, just changing that foot pursuit policy, um, they used to have eight to nine officer-involved shootings a year. And now uh, they only have um, eight officer-involved shootings. Um, they've only had eight in the last five years. Wow. So it's a huge, huge yeah. difference. And, um, and not just the officer-involved shootings, but even, um, you know, people getting hurt, um, injuries. I think officer injuries went down by, like, 75 percent wow. or something. Um, but these are also the conditions, right, that um, uh, with the formal policy that yeah. would promote the, the bias because you're, you know, you're afraid, it's dark, you, you know, there's an ambiguous situation, you're in there with a person that is uh, threatening, you're, you're feeling fearful, you have to make a decision fast. Not a good recipe uh, for the best decision-making. So if you can, you want to step back and slow it down. And um, So anyway, so that's, that's a, an example of, 
of how um, you know we could think about um, the science uh, getting applied to these yeah. real situations that obviously matter quite a bit. Yeah. Well, Dr. Everhart, I have so enjoyed our conversation, uh, and just congratulations to you on the outstanding work that you're doing. And congratulations on your book, Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you.